Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, and welcome to the Love Life Connection podcast, a podcast for successful women who feel like they have it all except love. I'm your host, Veronica Grant, a love and life coach. And my only goal with this podcast is to inspire you to believe in yourself and that real love is possible for you, even in our swipe right, swipe left world. Hello, and welcome to a bonus episode of the Love Life Connection podcast. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. And this feels extra special. This is actually the first episode I've recorded since having my baby. And it feels really good to be back. I've started working with my clients, and I've brought on some new clients, and I'm getting back into my podcast. And it's just really fun and exciting. Because as much as this is, yes, my livelihood, and business, it really also is my creative outlet. So it feels really good to be able to do this again. Of course, it'll look very different and feel very different since having my baby, but I'm excited nevertheless. So I thought for this bonus episode, I would share with you my birth story and just kind of my fourth trimester story. I still have a few more weeks to go technically in my fourth trimester, at least when I'm recording this episode. But I really always have liked hearing people's birth stories. I don't remember reading or excuse me, watching that show. Gosh, what was it called? Maybe it was just called a birth story or something on TLC. Oh my God, I watched all of those when I was young. I just always really enjoyed it. So if you are curious to hear my birth story, then you'll love this episode. And if you're not interested, that's totally cool. We'll be back with a regular episode next week. And usually at the end of the year, I do a look back and I look back at all of the months of the year and I just share some highs and lows, both personally and professionally. And 2020 has been, you know, definitely one for the history books. Like, what can you really say? Right. And I think, you know, reliving 2020, I mean, who wants to do that? Right. So instead of, you know, reliving 2020 and uh, recording all of that, I decided I would just share this instead. And then maybe depending on how 2021 goes, I will get back to sharing some highs and lows personally and professionally, but we'll see. 
So back to my birth story, or we'll begin my birth story. So I was actually due at the end of September, but we were getting to be October 7th, 8th, and no baby yet. And I was like, hmm, I really want to go into labor naturally. I was really scared of having to do Pitocin because I just thought that if I did Pitocin, which is a drug that gets you going in labor, I really thought that if I had done that or had to do that, then I would just need to have an epidural because I've heard that labor pains are a lot worse with Pitocin. So I was really, really trying to avoid that. At the same time, I was also texting with my friend, Veronica, who is a friend of the pod. Um, she's been on the show many times before. And I was like, all right, so if I were to have my baby on this day, what would a chart look like? Which I don't recommend doing, but you know, there I was doing that. Anyways, So I had a prenatal appointment right at 41 weeks and I went in and I was like, I really want to go into labor naturally. And they were willing to let me go for a few more days. So long as I came in to, you know, get baby checked on to make sure everything was still looking good. But we were in the appointment and she was like, well, do you want me to sweep your membranes? And I can't even exactly explain to you what that is. Although I know it's something about separating the bag from, I don't know, your cervix or something. I don't know exactly. Don't quote me, but it can potentially start labor, especially if your body was already, you know, kind of on the brink. And so I agreed to have my membranes swept. And so we did that. And basically it's kind of like a pelvic exam. She sticks like two, maybe even three, I don't know. It was so painful fingers up your vagina and does the sweep. And it was so incredibly painful. I was like, yelling out and screaming. She had to get the nurse to come in to hold my hand so I could make it through. And it was just the most painful, painful experience ever. And she was like, well, if you think that's painful, just wait until you go into labor. And I was kind of surprised she said that my doula was definitely not happy she said that. But that just really, really threw me off mentally, emotionally. Stevie was outside in the car waiting for me at that point, obviously COVID spouses or birth partners couldn't come into prenatal appointments. So I got back in the car and I was just in tears and he was like, what's wrong? And I was like, well, I got my membrane sweep and swept and it really hurts physically, but then also emotionally, I was totally, totally freaked out and I began to feel a lot of cramping. And so cramping because of the labor was coming anyways, or cramping because of the membrane sweep, who really knows, but that's where you know, that's where I was, that was happening. So we just decided to go back home and just watch some new girl and wait and see what happens. And see if he was going to go back to work. And so that's exactly what we did. I went home, I was watching new girl. And then I just had my bloody show, but it was a lot of blood. And I know that bloody show is totally normal, but I didn't know exactly what was normal. So I called the midwife and this was another midwife that picked up who was on call. And I was like, so I got my membrane swept this morning, but I'm not sure if the amount of blood that I'm seeing is just bloody show or if something abnormal is happening. And she's like, well, there shouldn't really be that much blood right now. Why don't you go ahead and come on in? And I'm like, all right. So I called Stevie. Obviously he had just gotten to work and then he came back home to pick me up to take me back into Philadelphia so that we could go to some of the emergency room, but it's like the, it's kind of like the ER just for, you know, the pregnant people. So I got checked in there and they checked me out and they're like, you're totally fine. Uh, You're in very early labor. I couldn't even feel the contractions, but when I was hooked up to the monitors, they could kind of see when they were coming and going, but I couldn't feel anything at that point. 
And, and I hadn't really dilated that much. I was two centimeters dilated, but I was two centimeters dilated that morning at the appointment. So nothing had progressed. And the midwife at that point was like, well, you can stay or you can go home. But if you go home, you'll probably be back in four to five hours anyways. And I'm like, well, if I stay, will I, you know, will you give me Pitocin? And she was like, yes. And I was like, oh, let's go home. Because at that point, my birth plan was to go into labor at home. My doula would come to our house and then I would stay at home as long as possible, ideally timing it to where I wouldn't get to the hospital until I was about seven centimeters or so or approaching what they call transition, which is the time right between when you're just laboring and then when you're ready to push and deliver your baby. And so we went home and for some reason on the way home, I was like really, really craving Chipotle. And Stevie was like, you know, you might be going into labor right now and Chipotle might be a really bad idea. I was like, I want Chipotle, you know, I was like super pregnant. And so we ordered Chipotle and we took it home. And I remember I put on Shark Tank and I started eating my Chipotle. At this point, it was probably 7, 7.30 or something like that. And of course, I was loving it because I just love Chipotle. It's like my favorite thing ever besides sushi, obviously. Anyways, I remember getting, again, more period cramps. And it was just, again, it wasn't that intense. I could just feel it. And I was like, oh, I feel some period cramps. So I would like take a break from eating, wait till it'll pass. And then I would keep eating my Chipotle and, you know, watching Mark Cuban, like no big deal. And then they started getting a little bit more intense. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to go upstairs, lay on the bed, Stevie and I can watch more New Girl and just kind of relax. I must be in really early labor. So, you know, when the contractions came, I figured I'd be press pause and then I would just enjoy, you know, last moments of just being able to watch TV uninterrupted. And as soon as I got upstairs, I put on my pajamas and I was just in all out, awful, awful, really painful labor. I mean, it just went from like zero to 16, about 0.2 seconds. The contractions were coming every three minutes and it was what's called back labor, which means, you know, you feel the labor in your back. And I can't compare it to anything else because it's the only labor I've ever had. But I've heard that back labor is way more painful than quote unquote, regular labor, not that regular labor is not painful. But that's just what I've heard. And contractions are coming every three minutes lasting about a minute. And the thing about back labor is that the pain often doesn't stop between contractions, there's no contraction, but the pain still stays. So I don't know if that makes sense to you. Maybe you've experienced it before, but it was really, really awful. And I was like, all right, I've either got to get to the hospital now because this is awful or my doula needs to get here. And so probably around this point, it was probably 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, my doula came. And at that point, labor had gotten a little better and then it gotten worse and then got better and then it got worse. And that was pretty much what happened until 3 a.m., contractions would come every eight minutes, every three minutes, every two minutes, every 10 minutes. There was one stretch where there wasn't a contraction for like 30 or 40 minutes. So at first I got into the shower. Uh, We don't really have a great bathtub. It's just like a regular tub. It's not like a birthing pool that, you know, is deep enough so I could be totally submersed in it. But even the shower really, really helped. But at this point it was getting really, really late and I was just so tired and I just wanted to lay down or sit down, but I couldn't really do that obviously in the shower. I mean, the shower, you just have like a shower stall. And so even though the shower really helped take away some of the pain, I was just so tired, like it just became uncomfortable. And so then 
in our other bathroom, I decided just to get in the bath there, even though it wouldn't be deep enough for me to be totally submersed. I figured that I would still, you know, be able to have some pain relief, which is, you know, basically what happened. I don't need to give you the ins and outs of the rest of the evening, but basically it was just on and off labor all through the night, all the next morning. Um, My doula convinced me to start walking around to try to get things going. She convinced me to sit on the toilet backwards, which apparently is a really good position to labor in. And by the time we reached, and it was probably one o'clock, two o'clock again, I'm in labor. I don't really know exactly what time it is, but it's definitely one or two o'clock. At that point, I was just so, so exhausted. And I had been laboring really for about 24 hours at this point. And I was just in my mind at this point, I was so freaked out by, you know, I I had heard transition, which is when you're between seven and 10 centimeters is extra intense. And then there was the pushing and I was sitting here going on 24 hours of labor. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this, like if it's going to get even more painful during transition, and then the pain of pushing, but then also just the physical rigor required to do all that pushing, like I just was really mentally beginning to think I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. And so at that point, I was just like, I need to go to the hospital. And here's why I wanted to go to the hospital so bad. My doula had planted in my head, and which I didn't even know this was a thing before I was in labor, of what's called a morphine nap. And I will tell you that I really wanted to avoid a epidural. And here's why. When you take an epidural, you're really stuck laboring on your back, which isn't actually the best position to have a baby, even though that's what you know feels so standard. And like, not only does that is that what Hollywood shows you, but it's actually what a lot of OBs who come from more like westernized, you know, more modern type of medicine will probably have a lot of laboring people do. But it's actually not the best position because just I can't get into the anatomy of it because I'm not an expert. But basically, the way your pelvis sits, if you're on your back, both laboring and having to push, you actually have to push your baby over a little hump of bone, rather than being in like a squatting position or on all fours or something like that. And so I thought that if I had taken an epidural, if I took an epidural, then I would be stuck on my back, which wouldn't be optimal. And then I would be increasing my chances for A, tearing, or B, a C-section because the baby just wouldn't be able to be in the right position and therefore vaginally delivered. And both of those things just really, 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 really terrified me. I did not want those things, if I could avoid them, to happen. And so that's why I really wanted to avoid the epidural. And, you know, if I'm also being honest, there was also probably part of me that just wanted to like do it naturally. And I'll talk a little bit more about how I feel about that in a second, or not in a second, but at the end of my story. But that's why I wanted to avoid epidural. But I wasn't like morally opposed to painkillers. I wasn't like, I must feel the pain of childbirth, you know, for it to be legit. Like I did not think that at all. So my doula mentioned this idea of a morphine nap, where basically you go into the hospital and they give you morphine and it takes away the pain for about four hours or so. And you can just have a nap and you can sleep and you still labor, but you know, it'll wear off and then you can still have the, you know, so-called natural unmedicated labor or delivery. And I'm like, yes, that sounds exactly what I need. I just needed a mental, emotional, and honestly, physical reset. And so I was like, I'm done. Let's go. Let's get to the hospital. I can't get this morphine quick enough. And so we get to the hospital and I don't want to seem like, Hey, can I get some morphine? But the midwife did pretty quickly offer it. And so 
She gave me morphine. I think they also give you Benadryl to help you sleep. And apparently they gave me a lot of morphine, but I didn't know that. But the pain actually never really went away. I was able to feel the contractions pretty much the entire time. And so I didn't really like sleep sleep, but it did take the pain off just enough to where I could get into kind of like that deep relaxation. I don't know how to explain it. It's kind of like when you're kind of sleeping, but you know that you're sleeping. So you're not really sleeping. You have a lot of conscious awareness. That was basically what my morphine nap was, but it only really lasted for two hours, or at least it it mitigated the pain enough that only allowed me to relax for two hours. And so the nurse came back and I was like, can I have some more? I think I need to nap more before I finish with labor. And she was like, no, we also gave you a lot. So that's kind of like a one-time deal. And I was like, okay. And she was like, do you want us to check you to see how far you are? And I'm like, sure, let's do that. And so they brought the midwife back in and they checked me and I had dilated a whopping half centimeter. Now, for those of you who don't know, because I don't remember what I knew about childbirth before I got pregnant, um, you need to get to 10 centimeters in order to be able to push your baby out. I had already dilated to two on my own, just, you know, while I was still pregnant and the 30 hours at this point, probably more hours of labor that I've been in, I had dilated a whopping half centimeter. And so at this point, the midwife was like, well, you're already over 41 weeks. We don't want to send you home. You've been laboring for 30 hours. I think it's time to talk about some Pitocin and maybe even an epidural. And, you know, I want to say at this point, like I still didn't know what I wanted to do. Like I really was committed to an unmedicated, but I just knew in my head, like, if I was going to get Pitocin, like mentally, like I was just going to be checked out and I would have to get the epidural. But I felt like, you know, and I think this comes from like my perfectionist, like overachiever type of self where I was like, I really wanted to feel like I could do it. And I think that part of me was, you know, was really getting triggered. The part of me that felt like I couldn't do it, that I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't strong enough or smart enough or something enough. And we were still in the triage area when we were having this conversation, but they were going to, cause I agreed to stay at the hospital because I did not want to go home at that point. So they were going to move me into an actual labor and delivery room. And so we were in triage talking and the nurse was taking me over to, you know, the actual labor and delivery where you could get checked into the hospital. And, you know, that nurse just really helped me really understand and feel that it would be okay if I got an epidural. And even as soon as my child's preschool graduation, (laughs) I probably wouldn't care how my child was born. All I would care is that, you know, my child is, you know, graduating preschool and I'd be like a proud mom or whatever. And that really helped me put things into perspective and how much weight we put onto, you know, having a child like this, especially within the unmedicated labor delivery community, there's just so much like you can do it in the body and the women's and blah, blah, blah. And I just really felt like I wanted to experience that and put a lot of pressure on me for that. But it was so much to the point where I felt like if I wasn't able to do that, then it would, then it meant something, it meant something bad about me. So I was still kind of going back and forth, but at this point, like I did really want an epidural. I just wasn't quite ready to admit it to myself or to my nurse who could then call the doctor to administer the epidural. But then she said, if you need the epidural, then you need to tell me now, because sometimes it can take up to an hour for the anesthesiologist to make its rounds, depending on where she is and her rounds. And then of course it takes about 15, 20 minutes for it to actually kick in and to you know administer the whole thing. And so at that point I was like, 
all right, let's do it. I'm going to do the epidural. And I just completely 100% checked out. I was just trying to grit my teeth as much as I could, you know, to bear through the contractions. I wasn't doing any of the breathing or relaxing because I was just so mentally checked out and I couldn't get that epidural fast enough. Uh, I don't remember if I said this, but they're also going to administer the Pitocin because obviously, you know, intense labor for 30 hours and only dilating half a centimeter isn't exactly good. (laughs) Uh, But I did request to wait for the Pitocin until after I could get the epidural because at this point, I just did not want to have even more intense contractions. Again, I'm having back labor this entire entire time. And back labor is just, you know, it's funny about childbirth. You know, a lot of times I've heard like old wives tales or whatever about how women forget, you know, the pains of childbirth, which is why they want another child. And it's funny because I can't actually explain to you how the pain felt, except that it was in my back, but it was like so freaking painful. It's not even, not even funny. Like it just would bring me to my knees. So anyways, we get to the labor and delivery room. At this point, I cannot get that epidural fast enough. And thankfully, the anesthesiologist didn't have that many patients to go. And I was able to get my epidural pretty quickly. And while she was administering it, the back labor that I was having started radiating down my legs. So I was just feeling this pain and sensation that I had never felt before. And it was just freaking awful. And at that point, I was like, I am so glad (laughs) I'm getting this epidural because I hadn't even started to get the pain reading down the legs. But apparently when you have back labor, that is quite normal for you to get that radiating pain. So if I had had that the whole time, then I think I would have had a very different labor experience, probably would have gone to the hospital a lot sooner, probably would have gone the epidural a lot sooner. But so it was probably a good thing that I hadn't experienced that pain down my legs until literally she had the needle in my back and I was, you know, getting the the epidural. So once we got the epidural, not we, but once I got the epidural, both Stevie and I were completely exhausted. Remember, this is already the second night that we're going into of no sleep. At this point, I think it's nine o'clock at night. And we just both pass out. And even though I'm like, I'm really out of it, there's still probably the morphine probably making me more extra, you know, drowsy than I normally would have been even, you know, being totally sleepless. Um, We just we take this nap and I'm kind of like in this really weird state where I'm just like in this deep, deep sleep, but I keep getting awakened by the nurses coming in who are trying to reposition me because I didn't know this at the time, but they were worried about the baby's heart rate. And so they were trying to get me into a better position so that maybe his heart rate would get better. And, you know, we could keep trucking along with things. And I think after about two hours, they decided to check me again. And in two hours, I had dilated six centimeters. And the other thing that was interesting is they had hardly given me any Pitocin. I think, I don't know exactly how Pitocin is administered, but she said they never got above two. Now, if you're a doctor, you might know what that means. But what I do know is that two was very, 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 very little, and it was a very little amount of time. So it wasn't even that my body needed Pitocin in order to dilate. It was really just my body needed to relax from the epidural to dilate. And I remember even thinking, oh my gosh, if my body dilated six centimeters in two hours, that means I was going to be pushing in two hours. And I'm just so tired. I'm not ready to push. Like I wanted to slow down labor because now that I had the epidural and I could sleep, that's all I wanted to do. I was so, so tired. I just mentally, I was just like, I'm nowhere close to even being ready, even being close to pushing. 
I want to pause this episode and tell you, if this coaching call feels like something you need to have in your life, I want you to consider working with me one-on-one. Right now, I'm filling spots to begin working with me in early 2021. I believe deep work equals deep love, and that's exactly what I do with my clients. I don't bother with the do this, do that. I'm not here to make you a better dater. I'm here to help you find a deep love. I meet you right where you are, hold your hand, and hold you accountable throughout the process. It doesn't matter if you've done this kind of work for years and still haven't figured it out, or if this is your first rodeo at the coaching personal development thing. All that matters is you're done with where you are now, you want to get serious about finding love in the next 12 months, and you're ready to invest the time and money into radically changing your life. If that's you, head over to veronicagrant.com forward slash coaching to submit an interest form and be added to my waitlist. And then I'll be in touch with you soon. Good? All right, let's get back to the episode. And so this kind of goes on for another couple hours where I'm sleeping, but they keep coming in to rearrange me. And even though they keep, you know, rearranging me, I'm actually able to just fall right back asleep. So it's not as bothersome as, you know, it sounds like it, it would have been. And then they come in and they're staying in there a little longer, looking at the monitors a little longer. And the nurse just tells me, you know, a C-section might be required. The baby's heart rate is dropping a little bit more than we want it to be. And you also have an infection in your uterus. And I'm so out of it between, you know, having two nights of no sleep, the epidural, the morphine, the Benadryl, the, I don't know, labor hormones. <laughs> I don't even know. I'm just so out of it. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And it doesn't even phase me, even though having a C-section was a really, really big fear of mine. And again, this keeps going on, but people are lingering more and more looking at the monitors and it's not just the nurses coming in, but it's the midwives. And then the OB comes in. And once the OB comes in, she's like, yep, we need to do a C-section. And so they tell me that I need to do a C-section or need to have a C-section. And they immediately, you know, just there's immediately like, I don't even know, a dozen feels like that people around me. There's, there's someone shaving me because, you know, I've been pregnant, <laughs> haven't been able to uh, keep up with anything. There's someone who's helping me change out of the labor gown that I had brought into the hospital gown. There's someone talking to Stevie. There's someone else talking to me. Uh, Stevie's trying to let her parents know that I'm going and to have a C-section and just a million things happen. And Stevie's also trying to console me because he knows that a C-section was a big fear of mine and something that I really, really, really didn't want. And again, I was just so at peace with it. And if I'm being totally honest, there was a part of me that was kind of happy that I was going to have a C-section because again, I can't say this enough. I was so tired physically, mentally, emotionally, just everything. I was so exhausted. And the thought of having to push a baby out just felt like I just didn't have the energy and like, Oh, so like a C-section, I get to just lay there. And then the baby comes out, someone else does the work. It actually sounded kind of good to me. And they immediately wheeled me into the operating room. Cause again, at this point I did have an infection and I'll talk about the infection in a second. And they also warned me that the baby might have an infection. And so depending on what they had to do a few tests when he first came out, depending on that, He may need to go straight to the NICU to have antibiotics administered. And so we wheeled into the operating room and, you know, with, it seemed like forever, but I think it was within 10 minutes, you know, they pulled the baby out and it was such a, physically it was a weird experience because, you know, you can't feel anything obviously, but then when they do pull the baby out, it just feels like this pressure of like, 
kind of like what it felt like, that sound. And they pulled the baby over the curtain. And it was just a really surreal moment. He was crying immediately. And I really wanted them to put him on my chest. But I don't know if it was because of the C-section or because of the potential infection. They took him immediately over to be just prepared to take him down to the NICU. And I just remember saying to Stevie, go over there, go over there, because, you know, we couldn't do immediate skin to skin. And so I just wanted him to, you know, be with one of us and not be by myself. And there was just immediate cheers and applause and celebration. It was really, really, really sweet. And I just remember he had been crying, which is normal for a baby coming out of, you know, the body. And I just took my pointer finger and I just kind of stroked his cheek and he stopped crying and Stevie was like, you made him stop crying. And it was really sweet. And then they had to take him directly to the NICU based on, I don't remember what tests they did, but they were concerned about infection and they assured me that it would only be a few hours. And by the time I was out of the recovery room, we would be together in, you know, there was the initial surgery recovery room. And then there was like the recovery room where you stay for you know, for the duration of your hospital stay or the remainder of your hospital stay. So I was like in the initial recovery room, you know, hoping to be reunited with baby at any moment. And I have to say the nurses and the doctors and the nurse practitioners that I worked with that entire day were so sweet because I was actually having issues with my oxygen. It's normal to feel like you can't breathe because you are on so many drugs because you are having major surgery. So you know, normally for a surgery like this, you would be put under, but most people want to be awake when their baby comes. And so it feels really, really weird because a lot of your body is like numb or paralyzed. Like you can't, I obviously couldn't move my legs. And so I just felt like I couldn't get a good breath in and that's normal, albeit a scary feeling for sure but I was actually having issues with my oxygen levels. And so we actually ended up being in that recovery room for quite a while. I was on oxygen. I don't know how long I'd have to ask Stevie, but I think for a few hours until, you know, things got a little better. So we were in there for about six or seven hours. And then finally we were moved up to, you know, the jury, the room where I'd be for the rest of the hospital stay, which would be, you know, the next four nights. And just before we got moved up, one of the NICU nurses came up and told us that our baby couldn't join us um, anytime soon because I guess as standard protocol, when he was getting antibiotics administered, his oxygen levels dropped. And I couldn't even, I don't know what numbers they dropped to, but they dropped. And so they wanted to put him on oxygen and keep him in the NICU for at least 24 hours. And I was still on my catheter. And so I couldn't, I was bed bound. And so I couldn't even go down to the NICU to see him or to try breastfeeding or to cuddle or do anything. And so I sent Stevie down there. And he would have to tell you what that experience was like. But, you know, I hadn't seen my baby yet, really. And I hadn't held him or really touched him, you know, albeit my one little finger stroked his cheek. And so we FaceTimed for probably like an hour with the little baby. And at this point, I could not stop crying. Hormones leaving my body, couldn't be with my baby. And then finally, we get up to the hospital room after 12 hours of, you know, ending the surgery, they'll take you off the catheter. So for me, that was around 3pm. He was born at 321am. And they're like, are you sure you want to go down right now? I mean, you just had surgery, you just had your catheter removed. I'm like, just call a wheelchair and I'm going down to see my baby. 
And also because it was COVID, we could only go down one at a time. So it either had to be me or Stevie. We couldn't go down together. So we went down to the NICU or they called someone, I don't know who it was, to push my wheelchair down to the NICU so I could finally hold my baby. And, you know, we tried breastfeeding. Looking back, I don't even know what I was doing, but I don't think it was getting anything out. Not that my milk had come in at that point anyways, but I don't know how much was really happening. But we were trying and just cuddling and he was sleeping and just getting to know each other. And I spent hours down there and putting him back in the bassinet, you know, every time I left would just absolutely break my heart. And what was so cool about the hospital, I don't know if this is normal or not, but they didn't just give him formula. We had an option to give him donor milk because he was getting fed about every three hours via a bottle. But I was really committed to breastfeeding. And so I would pump as much as I could. At this point, my milk really hadn't come in. It was mostly um, colostrum. Um, But I was actually pumping a lot. Some of the nurses were really impressed how much I was pumping. So I would pump and then send Stevie down with the bottle, 12 a.m., 3 a.m., 6 a.m., and then 9 a.m., and then all of those same times, and the p.m. And then sometimes it would just be me that would go down. So between the two of us, you know, someone was with him most of the time. But, you know, just the thought, I can even just see it in my mind. It almost brings tears to my eyes leaving him you know, in his bassinet all by himself, it just, it tore me to pieces. And he ended up being in the NICU, not just for the 24 hours, but for three days. And I know in the grand scheme of things, that is nothing. And I know that there are parents that have babies in the NICU for days, weeks, and even months. But it just, gosh, especially that first day, I just couldn't, maybe the first two days, I don't remember, I just could not stop crying just the thought of him down there. And, you know, he's a newborn. He doesn't know anything. He doesn't know the experience of feeling lonely. At that point, you can't, he can't even see that much or know who's who. So it was really me emotionally distraught. And I'm sure emotionally for him, it did absolutely nothing. And he was totally fine. But it just absolutely, absolutely killed me. And I just tried to find some humor in it. And the only thing that I could find humorous is that, He was actually a really big baby. He was born eight pounds, 10 ounces. And most NICU babies are preemies, not all, but most. So most of the babies in the NICU were three and four pounds. And then you've got this almost a nine pounder (laughs) in there. So he just looked like a freaking giant compared to the other babies. So I tried to find some humor and that. And then the third day that he was in the NICU, at this point, he was off oxygen. They just wanted to monitor him for 24 hours to make sure he had no dip then he was put into like what would essentially just be kind of like a nursery rather than the NICU, although it was still within the NICU. And I think this is where they put all of the babies who, you know, have low bilirubin who are jaundice babies or high bilirubin, I don't remember. Anyways, jaundice babies. And so these could be normal sized babies. These aren't necessarily just preemies, but they're put in this little glass box with a light. And then they have sunglasses on uh, to protect their eyes from the light to help with the jaundice. So we made the joke that now he got moved into the cool kids room uh, because all the other babies had sunglasses. I don't know. These jokes are stupid and they're silly, but it was just like any little humorous thing that I could find, you know, just to help me like stop crying 24 seven, definitely helpful. 
So that's really our birth story. And then he was taken out of the NICU and he, we still had two more nights in the hospital. He of course cried throughout those entire first two nights. All he wanted to do was, you know, be on the breast, which was fine, but except I was exhausted. And then he got like a four hour stretch, which is a lot for a newborn. And I freaked out, you know, you know, I woke up in a start like, Oh my God, is he okay? And he was totally fine. And then we've been home and you know, it's been COVID. So our visitors have been few and far between. Um, we didn't really have anything downstairs. Um, we had just moved into our place and we had ordered a couch back in August because of COVID it was back ordered, just delayed. So I was just literally living on our bed for the first 10 weeks, maybe more like eight, eight or nine weeks of his life. And I don't give you a day by day play or play by play of what the fourth trimester has been like, um, except that it's been challenging. It's been, you know, definitely a new dynamic in my relationship with Stevie, which I'll, you know, share more as things go on and progress. And as I learn and we learn and everything, and it's been a learning experience in how I manage my time and energy and emotions and, um, yeah, it's just been really wonderful. Um, I'll just say a few things. One is there's so much dogma out there about breastfeeding and newborn care and sleep and pregnancy and labor and delivery. And I feel like my experience has really just turned everything upside down on its head. Like I just put so much clout and value on having an unmedicated birth and it just doesn't fucking matter. Like it really doesn't. Even if you have a C-section, which, you know, even some people would say C-section recoveries are easier than vaginal. Obviously, I can't say that because I've not had the vaginal, but my birth photographer, not birth photographer, a newborn photographer has had both. And she actually said she had an easier recovery with her C-section. Um, my doula said the same thing. So, you know, when you're going to your kid's graduation or wedding or preschool graduation or whatever, like, no one is ever going to be like, man, I really wish I hadn't used the epidural or I really wish this kid came out vaginally. Like no one's probably ever said that. So however your baby comes into this world, it doesn't matter as long as you're healthy and your baby's healthy. That's all that matter. And people say that even within like the proponents of, you know, unmedicated births, but they say that and then it'll be like, but you know, here's why an epidural is bad or here's why Pitocin is potentially bad. So I feel like that's kind of only a half-assed thing that is said in the natural birth community. You know, assuming Stevie and I have another kid, which we hope to, I don't know if I would do a scheduled C-section. I think I would definitely try for a vaginal delivery if possible, but depending on what is going on, I wouldn't be opposed to a scheduled C-section. I would like to have my labor come when it's meant to come. So the baby's really coming when, you know, he or she is meant to be here, but I would if I do go with the vaginal, I would absolutely 100% start with the ep- epidural. I, you know, for me, when I had the epidural, yes, I was able to sleep, but I was also just able to be so much more connected with my body. I could actually still move my legs when I had the epidural, which I didn't know was possible. I thought you would be totally paralyzed from waist down. And I could also tell when I was having contractions. It didn't hurt, but I could tell when I was having contractions, which is super important for pushing later on. So my opinion about the epidural has completely transformed. And that is what I would do moving forward. Again, not having a kid anytime soon or another kid anytime soon, but that is what I would do. Also related to this in the unmedicated birth community, 
you know, they'll tell you that, oh, epidurals or not having skin to skin or this or that really messes with breastfeeding. And about everything that could mess up breastfeeding happened to me. I had Pitocin. I had an epidural. I had a C-section. We did not get skin to skin in the immediate hour following birth. And in fact, I wasn't able to hold or even really touch my baby that much until 12 hours after birth. He was also given a bottle to eat for his first three days when he was in the NICU. They also gave him a pacifier while he was in the NICU. These are all things that, you know, breastfeeding proponents will be like, ah, make breastfeeding so much harder. And that really got to me. And that was another reason why I wanted to have all this, you know, unmedicated labor delivery because I thought, you know, otherwise breastfeeding would be impossible and it was going to be so hard. And I don't want to take away from women who have had a really difficult time breastfeeding because you know, I don't know if there's a rhyme or reason to it, but some people I know have a really difficult time. Despite everything that happened that was quote unquote, make breastfeeding really hard or impossible. We had no problems breastfeeding. He latched right on. There was a little bit of pain for like the first 20, 30 seconds. But other than that, you know, we just had no problems. It's been a breeze ever since. Now it's exhausting because especially in those early weeks, I'm feeding all the time. So he wants to be attached to me. So it makes like even just going to pee or shower, much less sleep really, really hard. But the actual breastfeeding, you know, the physicality of it has been really easy. We haven't, I haven't had any, you know, pain. I haven't had the cracks or nipples. I haven't had any infections, clogged ducts, nothing like that has happened. Um, and it's been, it's been really great. And he's been sleeping. He sleeps really well. The time I'm recording this, he usually sleeps. I mean, quote unquote, bad night would be only eight hours, (laughs) but he's been sleeping anywhere between eight and 10 hours a night, which is wonderful. I have a lot of theories as to why this is happening. And if you're interested, I'm more than happy to share. I don't need to get into the nitty gritty on a podcast because that's probably getting a little bit too detailed than you care to listen to. But uh, he has been sleeping really well. I think most of it, I don't know if most of it is we, I did take a newborn sleep class. So I do understand some of the science behind it, which I guess helped. But I don't know, Stevie's a really good sleeper. So maybe it's just genetics. And I got totally lucky. There's no way really to know. Um, Naps are a different story, but I will take poor napping any day, you know, over having a really good night sleeper. So how long has he been sleeping through the night? Around four weeks, he was sleeping six hours. So he would we would go to bed around between nine and 10 and he would wake up sometime between three and four. We would do a feeding and then he would usually sleep another two and a half hours, which would get me to six thirty-seven, And I could live with that. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's fine. I can do that. Now, sometimes the second stretch wouldn't be so great. And if it wasn't great, then I would bring him onto the bed and I would just let him sleep there the rest of the night. So he could snack anytime he wanted. But then gradually that six hours got to seven and got to eight. And then recently he's been, yeah, he's really been getting that nine or 10 hour mark. So over time, we're slowly getting that bedtime forward. So we can hopefully get to the 12 hour mark and that dream scenario of 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Because that would just be amazing. And that's really where we are for right now. Stevie and I are taking complete care of him. You know, we moved back to the East Coast so we could have the help of my nieces and sister and his parents and all that stuff. But COVID, you know, is having its way. And, you know, even with the vaccine, it's not ending anytime soon. So for right now, 
it's mostly me taking care of him, at least, you know, during working hours. And Stevie did have three months parental leave. The baby did come after September 29th, which I was super excited about. Although I didn't think it would be as late as, as he was, but you know, here we are. So Stevie is with me a lot during the day. And, you know, moving forward, once he has to start going back to work, I will probably have him during the day most of the time, although because of COVID, Stevie gets to work from home put that in air quotes. It's a strong, strong word, work from home or strong phrase, work from home, but he'll be able to work from home. And, you know, then I'll be able to do some work as well for the business. Um, But for the most part, you know, I have more limited hours because we won't be using daycare nanny or, you know, in-laws anytime soon. That will change hopefully after a vaccine and, you know, the pandemic lessons because, you know, not only would I like to have more regular work hours and more of them, but, you know, it would be nice to go to, you know, the gym again or yoga class or, I don't know, get a massage, something like that. So that's where we are. It's been a really wonderful and beautiful experience. I was really afraid of just like losing myself and not feeling like me after having a baby. And at least as of now, that hasn't been my experience. I don't know if it'll be different, you know, once the baby goes through different phases of his development and of his life, because obviously life will be very different in a month and six months and a year, two years, three years, you know, as they grow and change, their needs will grow and change. And once their needs become more mental and emotional rather than just more physical, um, I anticipate some, obviously some things changing, but I don't know. I feel actually more alive and attuned with myself and the seasons and the cycles and, you know, all of that kind of good stuff. And I think maybe it has helped me reckon with like, obsessing over, you know, the success part of me. Um, Not that like, I feel any less ambitious, but maybe it's taken more of a healthy role in my life and in myself than it has previously. I don't know. But that's something that I'm, you know, playing with and exploring, you know, as it shifts and grows in my own life. And of course, I will continue to update you and especially as it can relate to you and can help you in your own, um, in your own path and in your own growth journey. So that is basically, well, you know, not an entire 2020 recap, but that is a good part of Q4 at, at least. So I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm sharing very limited pictures of him and his name. If you are curious to know that information, then you can send me a personal email. And I'm more happy to share over that medium. I haven't decided what I'm doing in terms of his privacy. So it's not that I'm not going to be sharing more pictures of him on my Instagram. I just haven't decided. So I just haven't done it yet. (laughs) But it's just something that I've been thinking about, you know, with AI and creepsters and all that kind of stuff. So if you want to know his name and all that kind of stuff, feel free to send me an email. Happy to share and a photo, but any more than that, I don't know. I have to think about it. Um, if you have kids and you have decided to share or not share, I would love to know how you made your decision. I'm in the decision-making process. I haven't not decided to not share. So it's not like I'm quote unquote against sharing information about your children on social media. I just So I'm curious if you do share, um, what led you to that decision? If you don't share, 
you know, what led you to that decision. Or if you have friends that do or do not share and you know what their thought process was, then I would love to to hear that from you. Um, it's also different, you know, CB is sharing on his account, but you know, he doesn't have a public following and he's changed the settings. So that's, I don't know. I don't know how secure it actually is. Cause you know, at, at the end of the day, it is Facebook and how much do we really trust Facebook, you know, even Instagram's Facebook. So who knows? Anyways, that is that. I'm super excited to be back. I will most likely be doing a love incubator starting in March ish. I put a big emphasis on the ish there because at the time of this recording, I have not really planned out 2021, except that I have space for one-on-one clients. At the time that I'm recording this, two weeks when this will come out, I don't know what it'll look like. I have quite a few calls scheduled between now and then. And my time is more limited, um, at least until COVID is over and I can have more reliable nanny or daycare. So if you are interested in working together, then head over to veronicagrant.com forward slash coaching, and you'll see a quick form to fill out. And that will then guide you to my calendar where you can schedule yourself. And then we can have a quick chat. And the chat obviously is not an obligation to sign on. It's just what it is a chat to see if it would be a good fit for you. So again, that's veronicagrant.com forward slash coaching. And again, if you are interested, I would not delay too much just because time is of the essence, at least for probably the first half of next year or so. All right, my dears, I hope you have a wonderful new year. If you're listening to this on the day that this is released and I will talk to you really soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Love Life Connection podcast. You can find the show notes for this episode at veronicagrant.com forward slash podcast. And that's also the place you can sign up to be coached by me here on the show. And if you love this podcast, please leave a review over on Apple Podcasts. It helps more incredible women like you find this show and find real love. Until next time, remember, wherever you are is exactly where you need to be. You're not broken and you don't need to be fixed. Just because you've never had the relationship you want before doesn't mean you can't have it now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.